The New York State Office of Addiction Services and Supports, or OASS, provides this podcast as a public service. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the agency or state. This is Addiction, the Next Step. I'm Jerry Gretzinger, your host for Addiction, the Next Step. Our guest today is Mary Brewster. She's the Associate Commissioner for Harm Reduction at the New York State Office of Addiction Services and Supports. Now, harm reduction is a new division within the agency, so obviously Mary is a new member of the team, at least since September of 2022 when she came on board, to focus efforts on implementing harm reduction services statewide. Now, while this is a new division of the agency, harm reduction is not new. It's something that people and certainly the agency has been practicing for years, but we're seeing value in in really giving it its own focus. So Mary joins us and we're going to be talking more about what harm reduction services are all about. But I want to start with, tell us uh, about you. Tell us about Mary Brewster. Where do you come from? What's your background? How it relates to harm reduction? Yeah. So I've been working in community for the past 15, 16 years. I'm a social worker by education, Um, was never a clinician. I really studied micro, uh, macro practice social work. Um, So really looking at systems of change and how you involve community and systems of change and uh, got my start working in the HIV AIDS community, which is where harm reduction comes from. Harm reduction was really in introduced to us in the United States uh, in the early 80s through the HIV AIDS epidemic. So worked with people living with HIV or AIDS, working with them, doing risk reduction, counseling with them. Uh, and that's where I was introduced to harm reduction. Uh, that was in Chicago. So I had the privilege of learning harm reduction from Dan Big, who is really known as like the godfather of harm mm-hmm. reduction. Um, if any of the listeners have naloxone or Narcan right now, that's because of Dan Big. Um, he was the person that made sure that that non-medical people had access to a life-saving medication. Um, And he taught me that harm reduction is any positive change. That's really what we're looking at is how do we help our community um, impact any positive change. Um, So six years ago, seven years ago now, time gets away from me. Uh, My husband and I moved to the East Coast uh, and I worked in the Hudson Valley for a few years and then moved down into the city and had been working in Harlem at a syringe exchange program or an SSC. Uh, and then started with Oasis in September. So have been in community for 15, 16 years, really working with the most marginalized communities and was really fortunate that in social work school, I learned harm reduction, which is not the norm. Um, we were just on a call talking about how how do we teach students about harm reduction because they get no education about it. Yeah. And again, I was really fortunate that that's what I learned. I never had to unlearn anything. I learned harm reduction from the get-go. That's what you always knew. That's what I always knew. So so you're here with us today in the Albany offices. I know mm-hmm. uh, you are typically located in New York City, but you've been doing a lot of back and forth. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep, I have staff up here, so I try to come up once or twice a month at minimum. Harm reduction. Uh, you said any positive change, mm-hmm. and that's something we hear a lot of. We hear that line because that's really what it's about. Yeah. People say, what's harm reduction? I guess... You could say, oh, it's self-explanatory. It's about reducing harm. But it can mean so many different things, so many different approaches in so many different areas. So let's start with the, with the very basics. If someone said to you, what is harm reduction? You'd say... 
It's helping people identify behaviors that they may have in their life that are not the most healthy um, or behaviors that they want to change and helping them implement that change, supporting them in making change in those behaviors. So because we're the Office of Addiction Services and Supports, our harm reduction work is really around people who use drugs and what positive change could they implement in their life. But harm reduction isn't necessarily just tied to people who use drugs. Um, The example that I give for people... uh, of how I implement harm reduction in my own life is I love chocolate. I love Snickers bars in particular. I know that it's not a healthy thing for me to eat one or two Snickers bars every day, even though I want to do that. (laughs) And so my harm reduction goal is I, I eat them on the weekends. That's when I allow myself to have a Snickers bar because I'm not going to eliminate the the behavior completely, but I can implement healthier uh, actions around that behavior. So any positive change. Again, I'm not getting rid of my Snickers bars completely. I enjoy my Saturday and Sunday Snickers bar. Uh, but Monday through Friday, I implement harm reduction strategies. And you know, after my most recent trip to the doctor, I think I might want to take that yes, same harm exactly. reduction tactic. <laughs> um, so we, we talk about, you know, Oasis, we deal with addictions, mm-hmm. services and supports. And certainly that takes many different forms. Sure. Um, you mentioned naloxone before mm-hmm. and the opioid epidemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is certainly something, naloxone itself, a method of harm reduction, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the the state, like I said at the beginning, you know, Oasis has been providing harm reduction services since we started. Treatment is harm reduction, right? That's recovery is harm reduction. Prevention is harm reduction. Uh, But specifically, the state has been implementing harm reduction strategies for the last 30 years at minimum. Um, So in 1992, syringe service programs became legal in New York State. um, And that was a harm reduction project. Uh, When syringe exchanges became legal in New York State in 92, This was really at the height of the HIV AIDS epidemic, and we knew that injection drug using and sharing paraphernalia and sharing syringes or works was a great way to transmit HIV. And so the state legalized this. It was very controversial at the time. It's still in many parts of the country is very controversial. But in 1992, when they implemented syringe exchange in New York City, 53% of all HIV cases, new HIV cases were among the injection drug using community, meaning 53 out of every 100 new HIV cases was attributed to a person sharing syringes. That percentage after we legalized and funded, I think that's a really important key, funded syringe service programs, that percentage is now less than three. And that is a harm reduction intervention. You have a community that is sharing syringes. A harm reduction strategy is to make sure that they don't have to share syringes. So we've been doing this you know, since minimum 1992. In 2006, we had what are now our opioid overdose prevention programs. Uh, These are OOPPs. This is so that you and I, not medical providers, can get naloxone, which is a medication. Its only intended purpose is to reverse an opioid overdose. Um, So we've gradually been building on that history, but it's not new. Um, It's just a new division here, and we're really highlighting the work that we're doing. And I think you're exactly right. We're in the point where we are in an opioid overdose crisis. We're in an epidemic. It's epidemic proportions, the number of people that are dying. Uh, right now in New York State, one person dies every five and a half hours of an unintended overdose. Um, so it's just us really committing to this work and recognizing that there's still work that needs to be done. And there are very clearly communities where harm reduction services aren't getting in. So how do we bring those services to community? And so 
I want to talk about how, you know, the other areas that harm reduction can be practiced in, mm -hmm. because, you know, we're talking about the opioid overdose epidemic Absolutely. right now. But, you know, uh, with alcohol, there's mm -hmm. harm reduction techniques. Absolutely. With problem gambling, there's harm mm -hmm. reduction techniques. But before we get off of that, I, I also want to point out, you said that uh, when the syringe exchange program started, mm -hmm. it was controversial. Yes. And I imagine part of that is due to a longstanding history of belief is that, okay, well, if, if you are currently addicted to a substance or mm -hmm. a practice of some kind, the only way to, to do anything about it is to go cold turkey, cut yeah. it out, or, or there's nothing else to do. And this has become a new way of thinking that, it, it has, you know, because not everybody is ready absolutely to, to go cold turkey, but at the same time, we want to reduce harm. Absolutely. I think what harm reduction recognizes is that recovery is individualized, right? It's, it's, we had this thought process that it's a one size fits all. If you have opioid use disorder, you just need to stop. That's, that's your recovery plan and recognizing that doesn't work for everyone. And so what harm reduction does is it recognizes that a person's recovery is really going to be dependent on what is best for their life. And it's recognizing that the person who uses drugs is the expert of their life. And as service providers, we are there to help them make that change, to support that change, but they have to be the agents of change. We are there just to help facilitate that healthy change that they want to implement, but also recognizing that they may never stop using. So what are the safer ways that they can use? And that's really where harm reduction comes into play. And so you talked before about other examples of it, and you talked about the chocolate. I, I just thought of one about, you know, people put a seatbelt on. Absolutely. That's right? harm reduction. They're you put not... a bike helmet on, that's harm reduction. Yep, I mean, yep. I, I know I have certain young people in my life who drive. They drive a little too fast. Yeah. I can't get them to stop doing that necessarily, but they put a seatbelt on. Yeah, right? and so. that's why we have speed cameras. That's why we have mm -hmm. speed traps, like to stop people from speeding. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's why we have at bars, right? Like a, a bartender can be held liable if they overserve you at a bar. Bartenders take keys away from people so they don't drink and drive. Um, so we've implemented harm reduction all over our community. I mean, seatbelt laws, that's a law. That's a harm reduction law. Um, so it's really seen harm reduction everywhere. And it's harm reduction isn't just for people who use drugs. It's for all of us. Um, so, you know, we've been talking about the, the opioid element of things, but certainly, I mean, you know, we have people here who specialize in problem gambling, uh -huh. uh, alcohol use, and there's a harm reduction technique for, for each of these things. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about, you know, some of the options. If, if somebody says, well, you know, I'm I'm not using opioids, but, uh, you know, I have someone in my family who I'm concerned with their alcohol use. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think the number one uh, strategy that I tell everyone, regardless of what substance you're using, is to start low and go slow. Right, you can always take more of a substance. You can't take the substance out. It's like that uh, the analogy they use with you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, right? So start low, go slow. See how your body feels. Specifically with alcohol, you know, um, have a drink, have a glass of water. Have a drink, have a glass of water. Make sure that you have a designated driver. Make sure that if you don't have a designated driver, you're using like a rideshare app. Um, so there are tons of different strategies that you can use. Um, Cannabis is legal now. Um, so one of the uh, harm reduction strategies that we have with cannabis is to buy from a regulated supply, buy from one of the legal dispensaries, because then you know exactly what is in 
your substance. We have a regulated drug supply. We need to be tapping into it. Um, so it's really just breaking down the use of how do you use this substance? What are the ways that we can make this as safe as possible? Washing your hands, right? Like if you're going to snort a substance, making sure you're snorting off of a clean surface. So you clean that surface down so that if you're snorting a powder off of a table, there's no bacteria on that table. So it's really practical. Harm reduction is both a philosophy of care, but it's also really practical tools that we give individuals to be able to change behaviors. You know, and it sounds like too, I mean, a lot of the stuff we're talking about, these are ideas that people may have heard before, may have been around for a while, but but to understand that this is harm reduction techniques yes, and to coordinate it and to promote it and make sure it's not just a certain part of the population who's aware of it, that everybody. Absolutely. Knows. And that there's intention behind it. There's a reason that we give certain materials. So when I worked at a syringe exchange program, we don't just give an individual a syringe to be able to inject. We also give them an alum- aluminum cooker. And it's really important that they use a new aluminum cooker every single time they inject and they not share that aluminum cooker because hepatitis C can be transmitted by sharing works. And that includes the aluminum cap or the cooker that they're using. So again, it's very intentional. Every piece that we give to a person, the the tourniquets that we give out for tying off a vein so you can get a good vein, that's for vein health. So you maintain the integrity of your veins, but also their nitrile, one, because people have... latex allergies. So we want to make sure everyone can use it. And two, it's not going to damage your skin like a piece of rope or a belt might because it's nitrile. So it's softer in your skin. So everything that we give is very thoughtful and intentionally given to reduce harms that people may not even be aware that they, you know, have um, risk for. You know, so as you're saying that, I'm just thinking you talked before and we we mentioned it a couple of times about the the controversial nature of some of this. Mm -hmm. And so as you're speaking, I can, I can almost hear some people out throughout the state of New York saying they're helping people use substances. Oh my gosh, what are they doing? Uh, and that's, to me, that sounds like it's sort of an older way of thinking, sure. not not completely comprehending yeah. the harm reduction approach. Yeah. So as a harm reductionist, I think one of the most important things to recognize is that people have always used substances and will always use substances. So we look back at like human history, how long have people been consuming wine? Wine is a substance, right? It's a mind-altering substance. So substance use has always been a part of our history and always will. So I think that's a really important place to start. We are never going to eliminate drugs from our culture. We just aren't. And so people that say, well, you're encouraging people to use drugs or you're enabling them to use drugs, I say we actually are but we're enabling them to do it safely, right? right? So we're not giving out syringes and saying, just go willy-nilly with them. We are giving you syringes because you've identified to us that you inject substances. And I know that there are risks around injecting with a used syringe. So I wanna make sure that every injection is safe. And when I do that, when you sit with a client and you're talking to them, you're also talking to them about their options, right? So you're talking to them about vein health. You're saying, do you have a primary care provider? Um, have you been? Have you had an HIV test or a Hep C test? Have you thought about what treatment might look like? Have you thought about what recovery might look like for you? So there are all of these opportunities to plant that seed of what it might look like for them to reduce their use, if that's their goal. And you create a space where we're not telling them they 
they have to stop using drugs. We're creating a space where there's no judgment when they come in that door. They sit down and they aren't going to sit across from someone saying, you're a bad person because you use drugs and you have to stop. It's, okay, you're using substances. How do I make that as safe as possible for you? Well, that was going to be my next question. I, you know, Going on the other side of things, you know, people who may look at this and think, well, if I go, uh, it, it's going to create trouble for me or they're going to try to get me to quit. And uh, it's, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds. But as you're saying, it's just, it really is a safe place. It is. It's an absolute safe place. Uh, you know, I worked in a drop-in center at, in Harlem and, you know, we had clients that they weren't coming to get syringes. They were just coming to have a place where they were not going to be judged for their use. They just wanted someone to be able to sit down and talk with and not feel as though they're a dirty person or they're a bad person or any of these other pejorative statements that we might put that label on a person who uses drugs. Like you're just a person that is deserving of care, whether you use drugs or not. There's this line that I have in a training that I give, and it says, um, abstinence from substances is not an actual requirement for full participation in society. And I think that that's really important. We have this expectation that in order to be able to gain access from to housing, to medical services, to treatment, that you have to abstain from substances. And that's just not the case. You do not have to abstain from substances to be afforded humanity. And I think that's where we have to get to is that, you know, I used to have a t-shirt that said, I love people who use drugs and it was controversial and people, you love people who use drugs. And yes, because everyone's deserving of love and humanity. And that's, that's the fundamental starting off point for harm reduction. So I'm going to ask you about two, well, actually, first, let me go back to something else. I said earlier that it also applies to problem gambling. And sure. We talked about techniques, you know, with, with alcohol use and such. As far as problem gambling, somebody may be saying, "Well, how, how can I practice harm reduction with that?" Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there are really great examples of it. You know, so for people who have um, problem gambling issues, you don't take your credit card in with you. You take $20 cash. That's all you take in with you, right? You don't have access to more money. That's a way to be able to do it. It's, you know, limiting the number of times that you'll be able to go to a casino if you're going to a casino. But I think that there, again, there are just these really practical steps that you can use talking about it. I think that's a huge, that's huge in harm reduction is being able to actually talk about your behaviors with someone that's not going to stigmatize you because of that. That's the starting off point is being able to find someone that you can talk to that isn't going to wag their finger at you and say, this is bad. This is bad. This is what you have to do, but say, all right. And what changes do you want to make? What's realistic for you? What can you actually do? You, you know, you're, you're pretty good about anticipating my next question and, and answering it <laughs> Mind before. reader. But, but you, were, you just kind of talked about it a bit. You know, what is, I was going to ask you, what is the biggest thing that stops people from wanting to speak to someone, from wanting to say, hey, you know what, I, I'd like to see how I could maybe do this a little less or mm -hmm. be on the path to stopping entirely. And you said, you know, they're worried about being judged. Yeah. I, I, I go back to stigma. Right? Stigma. Yeah, stigma kills. I mean, it really, it truly does. I think that that is probably number one, the reason that people don't talk to other people. It's a big black check mark that in our modern, you know, technology and our EMRs, it, that that diagnosis follows us um, in our electronic medical records. Um, you know, you go into a doctor and that's the first thing they want to talk to you about is your substance use. Well, I'm here for my foot. 
Why are you asking me about my heroin use? My foot hurts. Why are you talking to me about my substance use? I think that's huge. I mean, just look at the media and the way that we talk about people who use drugs, right? They're not humans. They're junkies. They're addicts. We other them instead of recognizing first and foremost, they're a person who is deserving of human rights and humanity. And that's that's where we have to start. Um, but it's absolutely the stigma. You know, coming from the HIV AIDS community, I saw it all the time. That is why people don't go into doors is because this is an HIV clinic. You're going to know I'm living with HIV, right? They don't want to go to a methadone treatment program because then they know that you are a person who uses drugs. So there's so much stigma attached to substance use that, again, stigma kills. It, it stops people from coming into the doors. And, you know, uh, if someone is out there and says, yeah, I'd, I'd like to be able to talk to somebody, but they have that fear, you know, regardless mm-hmm. of what we can say today of, of walking through a door. Yeah. We, we do have in New York State the, the Hope Line, 877-8-HOPE-NY. Anybody can call from their home or wherever and have someone to talk to. Yeah. Yeah, and it's anonymous. It can be anonymous, and it's just that one phone call, um, just being able to start that process and and tease out what that looks like for you. And I think that that's something that Oasis is really owning is that treatment is individualized. So we are not, right, like one of our campaigns is No Wrong Door, Mm -hmm. and I love that because that's what we're really creating is that we want to create an environment where there's no wrong door for a person to be able to come in and get this care and treatment that they need and deserve and that it's provided to them in a non-judgmental setting. And I think the Hope Line is a great way for people to that are curious about it, right? It's it's low threshold, and that's what harm reduction is all about is removing as many barriers to care as we possibly can. Yep. I just gave the number. We give it all the time. I'll give it again, 877-8-HOPE-NY. You can also access information at oasis.ny.gov. And Mary, I know there's probably a million more things we can discuss, sure. so we're going to have to have you back for other episodes of the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for checking out this episode of Addiction, The Next Step. I'm Jerry Gretzinger. Our producer is Isabel Beyond. If you have something you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email us about it. It's communications at oasas.ny.gov. That's oasas.ny.gov.